We are taking a break from the Gospel of Luke. We are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. Um, I, I thought about doing Luke 24 because of an old Navy buddy of mine that was kind of, uh, well, I'll leave his name out of it, but he liked causing trouble. He was a big, mean Russian guy. And he, um, what he liked to do is whenever we, when our SEAL team flew onto Navy boats, he would go straight to the library he would pull out as many books as he could, and he would tear out the last chapter of every book, and then he would giggle for the next like three months about all, you know imagining all these Navy guys like out in the middle of the ocean with nothing to do, getting to that last chapter, and giggle just like oh they're they're not going to know the end of the story, and so I was tempted just to skip ahead to Luke twenty four in case somebody came through and tore out all of the last chapters of the of Luke, but I figured that's not going to happen, so I I'm gonna. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll move to John chapter 20. And, you know, Easter, we celebrate Easter, the resurrection of Christ. It is historically is the most significant event that has happened in human history, whether or not you believe in it. Um, Jesus Christ of Nazareth has transformed the world from our calendars, um, all sorts of stuff. It's revolutionized the world. Um, but I understand that not everybody here is here to celebrate Easter. That this is, you know, I was a guy who was nagged to go to church for many, many years. So I understand there's around the churches around the world. There are people that are conceding to family members. Please, will you just go to church? Will you just go this one time? Man, I was there. My buddy, he nagged me over and over and over again. He so annoyed me to go to church some 16 years ago that finally I, I decided that I had a solution. I would make a contract with him, and I said, listen, I'll go to church on a Tuesday night. I'm going to wear shorts and flip-flops and a T-shirt, and I'll go this one time under the condition that you promise that you will never, ever, ever ask me to go to church again. And he said, deal. And so I went, and I kept going. And then I ended up here. <laughs> this is not to threaten you, but the message is life changing. And my life has been changed through the gospel of Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad too. My life is far better than it was. And so we're going to pray. We'll dive into the scripture and I'll try to make this as painless as possible for you. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for the resurrection of Christ. Lord, I thank you for my transformed life. Father, we pray that as we open up the scriptures today, Lord, that you would, um, that your spirit would give meaning to the text, that we would understand um, what's being said. And Father, we pray that um, your spirit would soften our hearts, Lord, that you would help us to hear your voice. Lord, I know for years I came to church angry and confused and not clear over um, what you wanted from me. Um, And so, Lord, I just pray for each person here. Uh, Lord, that you would help us to um, just to hear you clearly. Father, I pray that you would help me to speak. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm not going to go there, but in Genesis chapter 3, we kind of see um, human history unfolding from a biblical position that God created the earth, people, all living things, everything in the earth in six days. And shortly thereafter, 
the people that he created, Adam and Eve, there was one rule that they were not allowed to do, and that was to eat from the, fruit, the, the tree with the fruit on it, the one tree. Some people say it was an apple tree. Scripture doesn't say. I, I kind of think, you know, insert your favorite fruit. So it, it's a mango tree for me, <laughs> but we, we don't know. They weren't supposed to eat of it. That was their only rule, to be fruitful, to multiply, leave that tree alone. And then they ate the fruit, and they get busted. And God says, what have you done? And in Genesis chapter 3, verses 12 through 19 up there, there's a series of consequences that unfolds. I believe that at that time in, in human history that, that humanity's DNA changed, that there was a shift, and we became separated from God through sin. And from Adam and Eve, all humanity has been born into sin. Some of you might think that man is born basically good. I used to think that until I had children. <laughs> and then in having children, I discovered what I was, that almost immediately from being born, I thought the whole world revolved around me. Somebody to feed me, to change my mess, messy diapers. If I wasn't happy, I just screamed until I was satisfied, and then I'd stop. And from that moment, it's like, okay, well, man isn't basically good. But from Genesis chapter 3, this book can be a little bit overwhelming. It's a really big book, especially mine. I got a big one for large print, and I have where I can write in it. But in the very first pages, all the way to today's story of the resurrection, it's a story of how God loved us so much, his special creation, that he figured out a way to restore us, to restore the relationship. Now, before Christ, all the way back from Adam and Eve, salvation came through faith in Christ, looking forward to the promised Messiah. All through the Old Testament, there's prophecy. People foretold of this one that would come. And in his death, burial, and resurrection, that humanity would be restored. So we look back while the Old Testament looks forward. There's a lot of confusion over the gospel. What is the gospel? What is Christianity all about? I grew up thinking, well, I don't know that I did much thinking growing up, <laughs> just to be honest with you. <laughs> but looking back and acknowledging that I did think back then, I just kind of thought it was a system of, you know, let the good outweigh the bad. And we'll kind of roll the dice and figures out, figure out what happened when you die. I'd go to church, but I, my understanding of going to church was God did, gave me everything, so the least I could do was to give him an hour on Sundays. And I don't understand why it took me so long to figure out the gospel. And so I'm going to kind of start with the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians 15, this is kind of an unpacking. We read, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which... Also, you are saved if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So for those of you that are like me that didn't grow up in the church, coming to church is a very intimidating thing. Christians are goofy. We say stuff on Easter. I didn't learn this until I became a pastor on Easter. You say, wait, wait he is risen. And then they respond, he is risen indeed. I didn't know this until I was a pastor. I came up, started to preach on Easter. And I said, he is risen. Yes, he has. <laughs> no, no, no. You're supposed to say he's risen. Why do I have to say that? It's what we do. On Easter, we say he is risen. He is risen indeed. So I've learned these things. And I, 
But what's the gospel? Now, okay, my mind got off a little bit here. I got a bunch of files opened up in my brain. I was making, I got making fun of us and I got distracted. For those of you that don't know, Corinthians is essentially the Jerry Springer church of the Bible. There was all kind of issues going on. And I blame it on the sailors as a former sailor. Sailors corrupt communities in large part when they travel around. This is in Greece. There's a four mile stretch of land that they would pull their boats up, they would pick them up, they would carry them across the strip of land, and then they would continue on to the other sea. So there are all different sorts of cultures, religious beliefs, practices. It's still that way today in this port town. They've cut a, a, a canal across so that ships can just drive through or float through. They don't have to carry them. And so you had all kind of stuff happening here. The Apostle Paul started a church there. The church was growing. But because of all of the worldly system, all kind of stuff was going on. Horrible stuff. Made Jerry Springer's show seem calm, relaxed, seem like a Sunday school class. And so Paul, at the end of this letter, he writes me, he's like, I want to get back to the basics. And he said, the gospel that I preach back to you, you say, well, Paul, what is the gospel? And he answers this in verse 3 and 4. He says, for I delivered to you... As of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's it. Simple. That's all the gospel is. That the Bible, starting in Genesis chapter 3, started talking about the Messiah. Genesis 3.15, that he would come, that he would crush Satan, that he would restore humanity to God. Then Jesus, according to prophecy or according to the scriptures, he fulfilled every single one of these prophecies that's found in this entire big book, like the whole Old Testament, wherever the beginning is. You get the picture. Like there's all kinds of prophecies found in the Psalms, all different places. Jesus came and he fulfilled every single one of them. And then he lived a perfect life. He didn't break any law. He, he lived totally and completely to the Old Testament standard, which nobody can do. Only he can do as God. He lived under the law. Then they killed him because he claimed to be God. And that was against the law to claim to be God if you're not God. But he was God, so they execute him. And then as they're executing him, Scripture tells us that he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin. Not that he sinned, but that the world's sin, past, present, future, was placed upon him. Instead of you or me standing there for judgment to have to be punished for our sins, Jesus says, stop, I'll go there, I'll take their place, and it he bore the, the consequence of the sin. Then we're told that he, according to scriptures, and that he was buried, he was dead, D-E-A-D, dead, as a door navel, done, out, dead, no question. And that three days later, he was raised, or he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. It was all foretold that this would happen. And then Paul goes in verse 5, and he says, And he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. In verse like 6, there's a critical statement here. It says, many of whom remain until now. 
he lists like 513 people. He says that he, Jesus died. He was buried. He rose. He walked the earth for 40 days. He appeared to 513 people. He names them. And then he says, most of these people are still alive. If you want to go talk to them, you can talk to them and they'll give the testimony. Most of these people testified over and over and over again that Jesus rose from the grave. Most of them What are the most critical part I left out? Most of them gave their lives. Most of them gave their lives. And the book, The Case for Christ, we give them out for free back there. There's the the white version and then like the white book version. And then there's the student version, which is a little bit easier to understand. Lee Strobel says, if you wanted to, during this time, if you were to interview all of the eyewitnesses, if you took 15 minutes per person, it would take you 129 hours to interview all of them for 15 minutes each. So you would start Monday morning. You would go around the clock till Friday at dinner time. People saying, yes, I saw him dead. Yes, I touched him. Yes, he was alive after he was dead. I saw him ascend into heaven. This is overwhelming evidence. One of these people that saw the resurrected Christ was the Apostle John. And so today we're going to look at his account of what had happened, what he saw. And that's where we go to John chapter 20. So if we go back to the Gospel of John, back, see, I always get this backward, going towards the front of the book Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The Apostle John is one of the only apostles that was not executed for his faith. And it's not because they didn't try. Tradition holds that he was boiled in a pot of boiling water or oil. He didn't die. He eventually was exiled to the island of Patmos. And so he lived, he, while he was the youngest of the apostles during Jesus' life, he lived the longest out of all of them and became kind of the grandfather of the church. And so as we look at this story, it begins in John chapter 20, verse 1. Now it came on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark, and she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So Mary Magdalene, we, the first day of the week, that's Sunday. In Luke chapter 23, the very last verse of chapter 23, it says that after they killed Jesus, after they put him in the grave, they got him all wrapped for burial, the Sabbath started. And so now they were confined. They couldn't do certain things. And so they all stopped. They stayed at home. They wanted to get out. They wanted to go mourn. It's like anybody who dies. Like when we ha- we've all experienced somebody dying. And if you haven't yet, eventually you will. This is guaranteed. It hurts. You want to go somewhere. And then as the days click by, you have sort of mile markers that you remember. I just had a dear friend died about a month ago on the 22nd, two days ago, the 22nd passed. And I thought, oh, see, Easter is celebrated every Sunday in Christian churches. The first Sunday was like, man, there was this time last week that Jesus rose from the grave. Two weeks go by. Man, it was two weeks ago. We're just going, man, it was 2000 some years ago on this Sundays when Jesus rose from the grave. Changed the whole world. And so Mary Magdalene, as she, the Sabbath is lifted 
It's still dark out. It's early in the morning. She knows where they sealed him. This was a very controversial execution. They had soldiers there. A stone, it wasn't like us where we dig a hole in the ground. They say six feet, but it's like way deeper than six feet. I don't know where the six foot thing started. They had a cave. And they'd put the person in the cave. Then they would roll a huge rock in the cave. They'd seal it with wax. They'd put a little string so you'd know if it was disturbed. She walks up to this while it's still dark and the stone is moved away. In order to understand this, imagine you just bury your most beloved person in the whole world. You watch them bury, you watch the ground get covered up. You go there the next day and you see a big pile of dirt and nothing in the ground where you just put the remains of your loved one. Panic. Horror, anger, the emotion in this scene is thick. Verse 2, so she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John the Apostle, the one that's writing this story. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. This isn't. This isn't like a calm, like, excuse me, Peter, I hate to interrupt you guys. Like, I imagine a lady running as fast as she can. She's all disheveled. Is it disheveled or disheveled? You know, she's a mess. (laughs) Her hair's all messed up. Her mascara's running. She's frantic. You can't understand a word she's saying. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. I don't know what they did with him. He's gone. What are you talking? Calm down. Now, let's start from the beginning. You went to the tomb. Okay. Because when you're all emotional, you start at the end and you're like, wait, hold on, hold on. Let's press rewind. Let's put it, slow it down. What's going on? So Peter and John are there. They get word from her. Okay, the body's gone. And so verse three. So Peter and the other disciples, so Peter and John went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two men were running together. Okay, I just did a little sidebar. I love this part. It's a little backdrop before we read the next section. Peter's the old guy. John is the young guy. John is telling the story of what's happening here. They both take off to go to the tomb. And John just wants us to know who won. (laughs) To record for all of eternity in God's holy word. The two were running together. There were Peter and I running as fast as I can. I'm in way better shape than he is. He's fat, old. He can't keep up with me. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Foot race. Peter is still running. John's at the tomb. Where's that guy at? The tomb's open. I don't exactly want to go in there. Like, I I don't know how many people have stood over a dead body. I've stood over lots of dead bodies. See, humans were not, we were never created to die. And so when we face death, there's something deep within us that I think the technical term is the hibby-jibbies. Like, we just kind of, like, it could be somebody that you dearly love, and it's just hard. Because 
You just know deep within you that death is not supposed to happen. We don't know why this is. That's because God created us to live forever. Sin has caused death to enter. And so here's John. He wants to go in, but a dead body was just in there. So he's a little nervous. And I kind of read before we go into verse six, I kind of think that John wanted to put it here and God maybe deleted it. And eventually when Simon Peter decided to show up at the tomb because I'd smoked him so badly, he came following me and entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And I lost my place there. Verse 7. And the faith's cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So Peter just jumps into the tomb right away. He walks in there. He sees the cloth that was lying there. And this would have been, see, when we, we kind of embalm people, but then what they would do is, they, I mean, you're talking a huge, I think it was like 50 pounds in spices, which is equivalent to 50 pounds of chicken feed. This is how I like relate to it since I've been in Valley Center. Big old bag of food worth of spices. They would wrap it all up in him, put it everywhere, and then they would take big, huge, like ace bandage cloth type stuff, wrap him totally and completely all the way from head to toe, completely covered. So they run in there and the body part is just a mess everywhere. The part that was over his head was rolled up in a nice little neat ball. I've heard it said that they think two miracles happened here. The one is that Jesus rose from the grave. The second is that a single guy folded his clothes. I don't think I, I don't know how much I buy into that. (laughs) But the head parts rolled up neatly. The rest of it's all a mess. And now John decides that he's going to go in there. So the other disciple, verse 8, who had first come to the tomb, then entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So verse 9 says, they jumped in there. John the apostle now believed that Jesus was gone, that he wasn't there. Later, when Jesus appears to them, I think it's in like Matthew 12 or somewhere, 24. It's in the book of Matthew somewhere. Matthew writes that when Jesus appeared to them, they had one of those aha moments. They were told that he, Matthew writes that when Jesus appeared to them, suddenly they remembered when Jesus spoke to them. The Pharisees were there and they were saying a bunch of stuff. They wanted to see a miracle. And Jesus looked at them. He said, listen. What you'll see is I'm going to destroy the temple and three days later, I'm going to resurrect the temple. And the Pharisees kind of laugh. It took us 80 years to build this temple. You think you're going to be able to destroy it and then restore it? And when Jesus appeared to them, they had, ah, I remember when he said that he wasn't talking about the building. He was talking about his body. So later they started putting pieces together that Jesus had been telling them. And so verse 10 says, so the disciples went away again to their own homes. They go there each way. But Mary was standing outside of the tomb weeping. Peter and John leave the scene. Mary is there hysterical, crying, weeping. She's staying. She doesn't know what to do. The two guys take off because they're going to try to solve this problem. Where's the body? Who took him? We're going to, you know, whatever they're going to do. She's just sitting there crying. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. So as she's weeping, 
mascara running. She can barely see snots falling all down her face. She eventually looks up and like looks in the tomb again to see what she can see. And she saw two angels, verse 12, in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been laying, lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? I, I love this. The, thing, the questions that are asked in the Bible to like humans, then we think, what, you idiot? Like, where have you been, you two angels? Don't you know why I'm crying? Like, I'm at the tomb. The evidence of their, their desecrating the body or doing whatever, and you're supposed to be heavenly angels. No, you're asking me, why am I crying? That's just my understanding of this. You know, that's, I'll get back. She saw two angels sitting on one head asking, why have you been, woman, why have you been, are you weeping? Verse 13, she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. So I don't know, like, was Jesus wearing some uniform, like, you know, First Cemetery of Jerusalem, like, I'm doing the garden in here. Like, how are you doing? Can I help you, ma'am? Is there something wrong with the, the condition of the graveyard today? Um, <laughs> she's at her wit's end at this point. And she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She's there in our context. It would be a hole in the ground. There's no body. There's a big pile of dirt. She sees the gardener saying, oh, what's the problem? I'm not in the mood for games today. This body's gone. Was it in the way? Did you move it somewhere else? Just tell me and I'll take care of it. Please. I've had enough already. Don't start, you know, bantering me over this issue. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. Suddenly she realizes it's Jesus. She grabs hold of him, hugging him, probably kissing him all over his face, getting her snot all over him, hysterical. I mean, I'm just trying to keep it like the story alive here. She's crying. She's a stare. She's a mess. He sees her. And I love his reaction for any guy here who has a mom. You understand this or a big sister. I have a sister who's 17 years older than me. I had just come back from deployment in the Middle East as a Navy SEAL. I go to visit her and I need a gas at my car before I leave. She's with me. She looks at me and she says, Hey, gun gun, you know how to do this by yourself? Yes, I know how to put fuel in the car. She's like, are you sure? Really? Wow. I just got back from the Middle East. I've traveled around the world. I'm a Navy SEAL. I know how to put gas in my car. And I picture this as Jesus. Stop clinging to me. My job's not done yet. I have further work to do. I got to go to the father. He's like, I'm not done yet. And it seems insignificant in our English text. 
But notice what he says to her. He says, go tell them that I'm going to ascend to my father. You see, this is why he was killed. He was killed because in claiming that God was his father, he was equating himself with God. The Jewish mind didn't think of this personal relationship, father, son, child. And he says, go tell them that I'm going to ascend to my father and the key there is in your father. See, now that he's been to the cross, suddenly he bridged the gap, the disconnect from sin. He made it possible for them to now call God father. He goes on to say, my God and your God, go tell them. And so here she goes again. She already has told him that they stole the body, already fanatical. So now she's taking off again, but in a different sort of sense. Mary Magdalene, verse 18, came. So came. So here's John. He's telling it from, she arrived, (laughs) announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then he said these things to me. He's going back to the father, his father, our father, our Lord. Ah, He's back. Mary, you're all over the place today. First you tell him he's, uh, he's gone. Now he's there and he's alive. Can you make up your mind already? So when it was evening that day, I'm guessing that they went back there and he's gone again like the first time. So now they're thinking, man, what's the number to that psychologist? <laughs> we need to get Mary some help. We're really worried about her. She's like, she's really starting to lose it. So an evening came. So this started at pre-sunrise, early, early morning. Now it's evening time. The whole day had elapsed. Mary's trying to convince them that she's not crazy, that she saw Jesus alive. They didn't buy what she was saying. Because when when evening came that day, the first day of the week, which was Sunday, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So this is a story. They are totally locked up in their room. They are worried. They just killed Jesus. Man, my target just walked in the door. This is, this is meant to be offensive. Um, the best way I could relate this story is a great Raiders commercial. You know, when the Raiders come to town, and all the commercial is, is door slamming, deadbolts going on, lock shutting, everybody's twisted. And it's like, what is going on here? And all of this st- sudden, the screen goes black. And in white letters, it says, not everybody's happy about the Raiders coming to town. But we are King Stallman bail bonds, you know, <laughs> like all of this stuff. <laughs> and, and so here's the pit. I mean, they're locked in here. They're worried that now they killed Jesus, the body's gone, they're plotting, they're going to come start plicking them off. Plicking them off, killing them, taking them out. They're hunkered down, nobody can get in the door, there's no knock, there's no, hey, can somebody let me in? All of a sudden, poof, Jesus appears to them. And stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Oh, man. First, now they have peace with God because Jesus' death has now enabled this this peace from God and of God to us. And I'm also thinking, dead guy appears to you. (laughs) You're afraid. Peace, peace, calm down. It's okay. Don't be afraid. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. He's like, look, it's me. You're not seeing a ghost. Slap me. 
Come on, punch me. It's me. I'm here. I'm alive. Touch my hands. Touch. It's, you're not seeing things. It's really me. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so here's the commission of the Christian church. This is why Christians nag you so much to go to church. I mean, it's annoying, isn't it? I mean, when you're like mom or your friend says, well, you just come to church. I found Jesus. Come to church. Please, 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 please. You need it so bad. Just for once. I'll strike any deal with you. Trust me, I remember I was so annoyed. But Jesus says, you know what? God, the father sent me to earth that I would become man, that I would live the life so that you would know God, that you could have a relationship. And now that I'm going away, I've entrusted you who believe to carry out this mission. And that's why Christians say, will you please come to church? It's Easter. The least you can do is come with mom. Like, okay, yes, mother, I'll come to church. And I'll... I've been there. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Powerful. Just executed three days later. All of you are responsible for killing me. I forgive you because it was a part of my plan. But Thomas, poor Thomas. We give Thomas such a bad rap. It's amazing that people name their kids Thomas anymore. Because we think Thomas. I can't name my kid Thomas because doubting Thomas. If I was in Thomas's shoes, I would have never doubted. Yeah, right. We're all a bunch of doubters. People write books to help us not doubt. The case for Christ is to help us not doubt. I'm a pastor. I doubt sometimes. I'm human. God became man, died, and then rose from the Doesn't work in this tiny brain of mine. Requires faith. I'll give you that. It doesn't make sense. But I love it. Thomas missed out. I don't know if they sent him out for sandwiches because they were all afraid, but for some reason, he was not there with them. Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus. Didymus means twin, so that's why he's Thomas, called Didymus. Was not with them when Jesus came. Talk about, like, being at the wrong place at the wrong time. So the other disciples, like seriously, look, let's back up. There you are, you're locked in a room. There's 11 of you. Well, there's, ten, there's 12, there's 10 of them because one had already died. Jesus appears to them after Mary Magdalene had come, shared the news. Finally, Jesus appears. They touch Jesus in his hands. They touch him in his side. Thomas is walking into the hut with a secret code. It's Thomas. Let me in. I got Subway. And so there, he's got the sandwiches or whatever's bringing him back. We're not hungry anymore. Check it out. Jesus is alive. Shut up, guys. First Mary. Now what she does? There's something in the water. And I imagine that they're like, you got to believe it. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. He's like, guys, I saw him. He was dead as a doornail. People don't just come back to life. You're seeing things. You guys need to get some sleep. Food may be the best thing for you guys. Get, eat a sandwich, have a nap. You'll all come together. But they pestered him and pestered him. 
and pestered him. And the Jesus were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus, okay, inside, and Thomas was with him. Jesus came, and the doors were, am I, oh, oh, that's the part. I need to get a sandwich. The eight days, that's the part. I, there's no comma or anything there. This went on for eight days. Eight days of Thomas having to deal with them. He tells them, I'm not going to believe. You guys said you touched his hands, you touched his side. Well, I'll believe when that same thing happens to me. Eight days. It's true. Come on, guys. It happened. It, this happened on Sunday. A whole Sunday's elapsed. Day seven, day eight. Where's Jesus? We know what we saw. Then all of a sudden, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. This time he was not leaving them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, so here they all are, get 12, eight days of of them trying to convince Thomas they saw the risen Lord. Jesus appears again. Hey, Thomas, come here. It doesn't say that Thomas asked. I think Thomas just fell on his face going, (laughs) they were telling the truth. And then Jesus was looking at his face because he can't even talk. He says, come here, dude. Fill my hands. Fill my side. It's me. And Thomas answered him. I believe he's on his face, kissing his feet at this point. My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see me and yet believed. Every single person in this room, we have not seen Jesus in the flesh. Maybe we've encountered him through his spirit, through the word. I can tell you that my life has been transformed by Jesus. I sit here today as a pastor teaching you the Bible week in, week out, over and over and over again. I think it's because God has a sense of humor. I was the kid in the Catholic Church snoring with my head using the kneeler as a pillow. The priest calling me out. Who's snoring? That never goes over well. I did not get a donut that day. I didn't care about God. I didn't care about the church. I didn't care. I had my own story. I didn't want anything to do with this. I was too busy having fun. And these Christians are way too stuffy for me. Until that day, my whole life had fallen apart on me. I had a resisting evading arrest with the San Diego Sheriff's Department. I'm now a chaplain for them, so they've forgiven me. Lost my security clearance as a, as a result about a year later. And during this time, my dear friend, who died a month ago, found God. Crazy. They weren't raised in the church. Now all he's doing is talking about Jesus and wanting to convert me. And I was so fed up with him until I made that deal. And then I went to church on the Tuesday night in shorts and flip-flops for the free pizza and to get him off my back. There I was in La Jolla. The church isn't there. Like I went back to the church to show Anna. She's like, Gunnar, how much were you drinking back then? I'm like, I know the church was right here. She's like, Gunnar, it looks like a bunch of condos to me. Thankfully, about a year ago, I bumped into the pastor. He said, no, no, we sold the building and we moved locations. Because <laughs> there was a lot of blurry moments during that time. And I was kind of worried myself, like, wow, where was I when I met the Lord? And so I started going to church. And, and I went the first time. I fulfilled my duty. Then I kept going because I, 
I really felt like I needed to show my friend that he was wrong. So I would go with the little yellow notepad in my head, take notes, and I'd tell him, tell him everything that was wrong. And, and then I kind of liked it, you know. It was kind of like, well, it's kind of fun, free pizza, let's keep going. And, and I realized that, you know, pro, raise, being raised Catholic and then coming into this Protestant thing was kind of a little weird for me because I, the one thing I noticed is that we Protestants, we like carrying our Bibles around everywhere we go. I mean, like not even just on Sundays. Like it could be Tuesday at work and you're pulling up with your Bible like this. Going, what are you doing carrying around that paperweight? You're trying to like get, like it just didn't make sense to me. But I knew everybody would show up with their Bibles. Well, man, I really, it feels really awkward when you're showing up to a church where everybody's got their Bible and you're like, well, what do I do with my hands now? <laughs> I need to do something. So I thought I'd do, go buy a Bible. And so I went to the bookstore and I bought a, a Bible. I failed miserably. I bought this book. It was a Bible for men, I thought. And I went to church the next Tuesday, so stoked that I had a Bible. I was just like them. And the pastor said, oh, go to whatever, Matthew. And I'm like flipping around. What, what day are we on? What do you mean what day are we on? I thought all you guys were organized. Like it's October 23rd. Mine are all by dates. It was a devotional that wasn't even the Bible. <laughs> and that got really embarrassing when I realized that I didn't even have a Bible. It's just a devotional, like a yearly sort of devotional thing. So I said, oh, that's, I got to go back, make sure it says Bible on it. So I went back, got the Bible, started kind of doing the church thing. And then one day my friend said to me, another seal that was going to church, he said, hey, Gunnar, how's your relationship with Jesus? I like fitting in, and I knew what the right answer was. The right answer was, oh, tight, man, we're good, we're really good. I'm like, let's, I'm like, left, went home, and it's just like the question, relationship. No, you go to church, you do your hour on Sunday, or I'm doing Tuesdays, because Saturday, Sunday mornings, unfortunately, come right after Saturday nights. And so I was kind of doing the Tuesday thing, because there was no specials that I knew of in the area. And I'm trying to find my way back to John here. And relationship, relationship. And then it dawned on me that, you know what? Jesus came he came for more than just giving us something to do on Sundays. He came to invade our whole life. I really thought becoming a Christian during that stage. See, I have a two older brothers. The one that's seven years older than me is the one who picked on me the most, who we fought a lot. Um, he claims that it was to groom me to be a Navy SEAL. But there was always something in the match when, like, you went too far, like there's a broken bone or your eyeball popped out or something. There is a word that works in any sort of situation like this. I don't know if kids are still doing it, but uncle, 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 who came up with that? I don't know. But you said uncle. It was like, do we need to call the paramedics? <laughs> no, I was just kidding. And you take off running. And so I thought this whole going to church thing was like the uncle thing. Dude, I'll go. Uncle. Did you trust in Jesus? Yeah, I trusted in Jesus. That's the right thing, right? I got my fire insurance. I'm good. Then as I grew going to church, it's a whole lot more than just getting fire insurance. It's like about God has so much in store for you. He's paid it all. It's not about trying to earn your salvation. He wants to have control of your life to work in every aspect, your marriage, your kids, your relationships.
And now as a Christian, looking back over these last 15 years, hearing the old gunner saying, yeah, I don't want to be a Christian because I, want to, I like having fun. Man, I did not know how to have fun back then. Now I can have fun the time of my life and I don't wake up with like blank spots and receipts in my pocket from the night before. How much money did I take out of the ATM last night? Like that has not happened to me since then. Those of you who are laughing know what I'm talking about. Horrible. And Jesus at the end of John chapter 20, this is what he says to them. Or no, this is what John says. Blessed are they, in verse 29, blessed are they who did not see yet believed. And John says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He says, listen, John says, as I, I walked with Jesus, I was a little kid, I followed him. I saw him die, I saw him resurrected. I've given my life, they're trying to kill me. I won't back down, I won't change my testimony. His, he was living. And when I tried to think about what I could write, man, there's not enough books in the world to compile everything that Jesus did in this life. But the things that I selected, I selected to write to you so that you could know the core of the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins, according to scripture, that he was buried, that he rose three days later. And in him, there's eternal life. And eternal life doesn't begin when you die. It begins when you believe. But what's the deal with this? I want you to go over to Ephesians chapter 1. And as you're you're turning to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13... I want to tell a story. I have a friend who's another pastor. I love him dearly. He makes me laugh all the time. But it's not a laughing like with him. It's kind of an at him sort of thing. And I would tell him the same thing. He's a big old boy. Played rugby for San Diego State. Thinks kind of like a rugby player. You know, had his head hit too many times because they don't wear pads. Big old fingers. He's probably like 350 pounds, like 6'4". Huge guy. When he puts his arm around me, I feel like this little kid. And he hated seminary because in seminary they like want you to read books and they want you to type papers and they want you to do all this stuff. And it was really hard and he quit so many times over the years. I think he's still in seminary 10 years later, slowly working through. And I happened to be in this one class and he said, he shows up with this new laptop. It was a Macintosh, brand new Mac. He said, man, somebody gave me a Mac. I heard that they're so awesome, they'll do everything for me. They'll practically write the papers. I'm like, okay, we'll see how long this lasts, brother. And so it's before class, he, he opens it up. He'd never even turned it on before he got to class. He's like, I'm new leaf, man. I'm going to be like um, typing papers. I'm going to be writing as a, taking notes and everything. Starts it up, it goes through the thing. He's like, man, how do I open Microsoft Word? I'm like, it's a Mac. Microsoft is a PC. And I don't know anything about Macs at the time. But I'm like, but my brother-in-law does. We got about 15 minutes. He'll, he's a computer programmer. He'll be able to talk you through it. Call up my brother-in-law, Michael, put him on the phone, and I can hear, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, ah. somehow he found that there was Word installed on the computer. So Howard's like, it's great. It's opening up. Boom, boom, boom. Thanks, Michael. Hangs up the phone, gives it back to me. Microsoft Word is opening up on the Mac. And at the very last moment, this little square pops up and says, well, Microsoft Word has been installed in your computer. 
you have to pay for it if you want access to it. It was so funny watching him. I really thought that he had signs of spiritual growth in his life because he did not immediately throw the computer and start smashing it. So he pulled out his credit card, punched in his information, and he activated the software that was on the computer. I'm telling the story because each one in this room, Jesus died for your sins. He paid the price fully and completely. But just because he did it doesn't mean that it's activated in your life. So the question is, well, how do we activate this salvation? If you pull out your credit cards and read me your... No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's no, no credit card is needed. There's no good deed. There's no works. It's not about straightening your life out. It's not about getting a haircut. It's not about starting to wear dockers, doing whatever you think Christians are supposed to do. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, in him, that's Jesus. He's writing to Christians. These are people who have already become Christians, and he's talking about what has happened in their life. He says, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the gospel, the death of Jesus, according to scriptures, for the payment of your skins, sins, <laughs> skins, sins, I make such a horrible pastor sometimes. <laughs> the pastor told me that Jesus died for my skins. <laughs> no, sins, S-I-N-S. He died for your sins, according to scripture. He was buried dead, D-E-A, dead, as a doornail for three days. He overcame death. He came to life on the third day. Paid the penalty for the sins of the world. That's what the gospel is. And notice what it says. It says, having also believed. Circle that word belief. You want to activate this software in your life, the salvation that Jesus provided for each one of us? It's activated through belief. Simple as that. And all sorts of religions will tell you that's too simple. We want you to do a bunch of other stuff. We want you to start looking right, cleaning yourself up, get rid of all your sin, then we'll talk. The deal is, when you hear the gospel that Jesus died for you. And you say, I believe. Thank you, Jesus. At that moment, it says that you're sealed in the spirit. You may. I never felt anything. Some people said, oh, yeah, I felt like whatever. I never got it. I had to learn about it in seminary. That at that moment, the spirit indwelt me. That you become a, the temple of God. You're sealed until the day of promise by the Holy Spirit. And then God begins moving in your life. Changes everything. And so for some of us today, you may, you may be, maybe you've believed and you just you don't realize that you believed. Like seriously, I went to church. Like I mean, I could tell stories all day long about my church experience after you know, that Tuesday night Bible study. I started, going to buy, I started going to church with Miles McPherson at The Rock or it was Horizon at the time, every Sunday he gave the sinner's prayer. Every Sunday I prayed this, oh Lord, yes, I believe you. Got to seminary and I realized you only got to do it once. <laughs> like once you believe, you believe. It's a done deal. No one doing it, no changing. Like all that happens then after you believe and then you keep walking in sin, you still go, then you just get like miserable. Man, I was a Christian. I, I go back to the bars and I drink. I go, man, how can I like feel sick after having just two beers? Something must be off. 
let's get around a wild turkey for everybody. That'll solve it. And I started to realize, no, I had the Holy Spirit. I'm, he's convicted me that I have a new life in Christ. This old stuff doesn't work anymore. You're sealed. All it is is believing in Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, new life, eternal life. And for those of us that have believed in him, that have eternal life, it's so much more than fire insurance. He wants to invade every area of your life. He he has plans for you. There's joy that cannot be described in Jesus. And Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, that you and your wisdom and your love for us Father, that before the world began, you knew us. There's no way that we can fully comprehend your love for us. You know us, Lord, that you know every single aspect about us. You created us. Our lives are in your hands. And Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus, Lord, that you gave so many prophecies telling of his coming. And that when Jesus came, according to prophecy, according to the scriptures, that he lived perfectly under the law, that he was executed without any sort of guilt, that he was our substitute, that he stood in our place, that he exchanged his life for our life. Without us doing anything while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Father, we thank you that as he died, as The world's sin was placed upon him, Lord, that he bore it all. Father, we thank you that in believing, Lord, we have life eternal. That we're credited with his righteousness. And Father, I pray for those in this room, Lord, who may or may not know you. Lord, if they don't know you, I pray that you would help give them the evidence, give them whatever they need, Lord, that would help them to take that leap of faith. Lord, I thank you in the story that you let Thomas doubt. And then we see that you appeared to him, Lord. You helped him to come to faith. And so, Father, I pray for the people here, Lord, that haven't been able to make that step. We pray, Lord, that you would help them to grow into a a relationship that saves with you. And, Father, for those of us that are worshiping you as saviors, Lord, Father, we confess to you that we hold back parts of our lives. Father, we pray that you would expose the areas of our life that we need to let go. Father, we pray that you would help us to surrender our lives to you. Father, I thank you for my changed life, Lord, that you've done this great work. I thank you for the fun and joy that I'm able to have in Christ. Father, I pray for us as a church that you would help us to go forward to share the gospel, Lord, the good news of Christ with those that don't know him. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.